the passage that we just heard is often used as a proof text for predestination. And the thing is, you actually have to read that into the passage. Because if you look up at the very beginning, you see what Paul is wrestling with. He's wrestling with the fact that so many of his brothers and sisters who are Jews have not come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you'll recall, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and uh, he was uh, one who kept every bit of the law. And so he struggles with this, and his heart goes out to those who are now where he was. And he says he would even give his own life if it would bring them to Jesus Christ and bring them to eternal life. But there's a dilemma And the dilemma that he is wrestling with is the fact that God chose the Jewish people. God chose them to be the uh, way that Jesus came into the world. He chose Abraham and he made promises to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants. And so the question is now, is God not keeping his promises? And Paul's answer is, Yes, God's keeping his promises. God is going to do things the way that God wants them done. And many times we just decide the way that they should be done. And he says that the Jews were trying to uh, attain righteousness through the law and to claim righteousness through their lineage. And Paul goes through this and he, he shows that uh, like even with when it came down to Jacob and Esau, normally lineage would be counted through the firstborn. But before the twins were born, God decided that the lineage of faith was going to go through Jacob and Jacob would be Israel. And so he says, uh, just as God had said long ago, I will show mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on him on whom I have compassion. And he's saying, basically, God chooses how he will act. And then he makes it clear that we can't will God's mercy. We can't earn God's mercy. And uh, he goes on and he says, uh, he talks about hardening hearts, And that's one of the things that throws people off. But you see, the thing is, if you'll read back even earlier in Romans, he talks about those who had turned away from God, those who had given up on God and who chose to go another way and refused to look back. And he says that he went ahead and just gave them over to their lusts that he hardened their hearts because they chose to be that way. Let's face it, Pharaoh could have glorified God without having been so mean and ugly to Moses, you know it, and to the children of Israel. God raised Pharaoh up and he put him in that spot so that God would be, so that, that Pharaoh would be there. But Pharaoh had a hard heart to begin with. And so God just hardened a heart 
that was already at enmity with God. It's not that he chose to bring Pharaoh into the world to be damned. You see, it's not a matter of uh, uh, just predestination. It's a matter of God's way. And sometimes we don't understand God's way. But here in the answer to the question, has God just forgotten his promise that he made to Abraham? He concludes at the end of this chapter and says, no, because it never was through physical lineage. It never was through keeping the law. It's always been through faith. And that is where things went wrong, that they put their faith and their hope and their trust in their lineage and in the law instead of God. And so their hearts weren't open to Jesus when he showed up. But this is just it. And here's there's hope in here because it shows that all the promises of Abraham are ours. That there are these promises that God makes to his people. When he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. All those promises are now ours. We were not brought in through keeping the law. We were not brought into this line of Abraham by uh, lineage. God has no grandchildren. All he has are children. He has no uh, 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 one lineage. It's through faith. And faith, as we see, is in Jesus Christ and trusting in him and trusting. And that's a, a part of trusting God. Some people claim to trust God, but they want to reject Jesus. And the thing is, you can't do that. Jesus is the biggest part of the package. Do you see that? It was all through scripture. We see it all pointing toward Jesus coming and, uh, and, and going on from there. But I want to spend the next Sunday or so looking at these promises that are now ours because we have been grafted into this lineage of faith. Uh, and there's a, an old song. I was just talking with Sharon about it, and I'm not going to get Sharon to sing it this morning, but uh, she, she knew a whole lot more of this song than I did. All I ever sang was the chorus. She knows a whole medley that ties to it. And so I was serenaded wonderfully coming in this morning, and it just really lifted my spirits hearing it. But the chorus, and I'm, I'm not going to inflict my voice on you by singing the chorus. I'll just share the chorus with you. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line, all are blessings of his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. Now, Paul says this to the Corinthians, for the son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. 
Have you ever noticed that? All the promises in the Bible, all that he's ever said, all those promises are yes in Christ. And so they are yours and they are mine if we are trusting not in our own righteousness, but the righteousness that Jesus Christ purchased for us on Calvary. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen means so be it, or that's just the way it is. So there, amen, amen. So the promises are ours. So how does God keep his promises He keeps his promises, and this is made very clear in this uh, passage in the ninth chapter of Romans. He keeps his promises on his terms, not the way that we want them to be. And so we can't just decide what his terms are going to be. We need to understand what his terms are going to be. And this is where uh, the Jews of that day went wrong. They refused to see that it was through Jesus Christ and it was through faith and that it had always been through faith, not through works and not through lineage. I can remember writing a paper in uh, a contemporary Judaism class in seminary and I had a wonderful teacher or professor. His name was Rabbi Olin. And my question that I addressed in this paper was the fact that there is nothing that says that a Jew could not accept Jesus as the Messiah. That is strictly tradition. That is not in Scripture. It's strictly tradition. And I went on and I asked, so why isn't it that a Jew could not receive Jesus as the Messiah, and be one of the most complete Jews ever. And as I went down through here, his, uh, and, and all of a sudden from that point on, my paper just dripped red ink. And the, uh, his tutor, or not his tutor, but his assistant had wrote, wrote on there, you just can't do that. You just can't be a Jew and a Christian. There's just no way to do that. There's no way. And that's, just, that's about all he could say. He just blithered and blathered it in different ways. And all he was saying is, you just can't. He didn't say why. He couldn't give a reason why because there no, was no reason why. And I really like what Rabbi Olin said. Down at the bottom of the paper, Rabbi Olin had written, Thou almost convincest me. <laughs> now the thing is that... Uh, He was quoting Festus from the New Testament. Rabbi Olin knew his stuff. And uh, anyway, so anyway, but that's just it. It's the fact that they, they just, they are blinded. And there are many people that are blinded to the fact that Jesus has to be a part of it. There's, if you love God, you're going to love his son. That's all there is to it. So anyway, Uh, On his terms, to his intended audience, some, uh, and we'll look at this quickly in a minute, but some promises are for specific people at a specific point in time, and others are for everybody. 
And then by his methods, he keeps his promises the way he wants to keep them. And then finally, it's going to be in his timing. I have a trouble, so much trouble with that one. Oh, man, I want things to happen now. You know, I pray. I want the answer, you know, but he's going to answer my prayer. But in his timing, and that just makes it so rough sometimes, doesn't it? Okay, but have people ever let you down? Has anyone ever broken a promise to you? I know that's like asking a question. It's in the same category as do birds have wings, do fish have fins, is the sun hot and is water wet? Because all of us, all of us fail to keep promises to others and others, I'm sure many of you have been so disappointed and hurt by people not keeping their promises to you. But what about this question? Has God ever let you down? Let me rephrase that. Have you ever felt that God didn't keep his word? I want you to think about that for a moment. Have you ever wondered, even complained, that he didn't come through the way that you thought he said he would? We know, for instance, that God has promised to protect and care for his children in this world. He's promised to make them strong, to fill their hearts with joy and a peace that passes all understanding. We know that God has promised to answer our prayers, and yet at times... Those promises may seem empty. Our prayers for a rebellious child or an unsaved spouse may seem to go unanswered. Someone close dies of cancer. Inflation chews up your paycheck. Neighborhood crime gets worse. Terrorists plague the world. And Jesus hasn't come back yet. What happened to all those promises? Has God failed to keep his word? Have our expectations exceeded God's promises? The way some people use the term, a promise is really nothing more than a good intention that is easily discarded if it gets in the way. They see a promise as something that is made to be broken. But when God makes a promise, he's doing more than just expressing wishful thinking. He's giving his absolutely trustworthy word. The original language of the Old Testament doesn't have a specific word for the concept of promise. But that doesn't mean that the idea isn't there. The Hebrew words tamar and debar that are translated by the English word promise have the meaning of to say or to speak or one's word. When God speaks about what he will do, the word promise fits it because of God's nature. The promises of God are at the heart of the Bible and they're at the heart of the Christian faith. We love him because he first loved us and he has kept his promises all the way up and down. I said a while ago that... uh, He keeps his promises on his terms. Now, do you ever read product labels? If you do, you've read words like these. 
This product is guaranteed for five years from date of purchase against defects in workmanship. The guarantee excludes damage caused by failure to follow label directions. Or you've read a recipe in a cookbook that guarantees a delicious dessert if you follow the directions. You can't get away without or with substituting uh, baking soda for flour or salt for sugar. I've known some people accidentally do that, and the results were disastrous. God's terms for keeping his promises are clearly stated, and what he promises he will deliver on. Some promises are unconditional, and some promises are conditional. I'll give you an example of a conditional promise. There was a wise teacher that sent a note home at the very beginning of school one year, and it said, I promise not to believe everything your child says about what happens at home. If you promise not to believe everything your child says about what happens in the classroom. Now, see, that's a conditional promise. Uh, God's, well, anyway, uh, in, in unconditional promises, God promises to uphold his end of the agreement, even if it's not an agreement, no matter what we do. Then there are those promises that carry with them directions or conditions that we must follow if we're into joy, all that God has offered. Now, these conditional promises are dependent on our fulfilling certain requirements. Psalm 100 reminds us of the character and the qualities of the one who makes promises on his terms. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Here's why. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. You've been seeing a lot of stuff. uh, I know I've been seeing a lot of stuff about reminding us of that. If it was God's truth 2,000 years ago, it's still God's truth today. God's not changing his word. So the one who made us continues to be the Lord over all of life. By his nature, God is good. Now, y'all are supposed to say all the time, (laughs) all the time. That's right. He is good. He's merciful and forever true to his word. The rest of the Bible all around Psalm 100 tells us of how God's promises to mankind reflect those qualities because he is all those things We don't have to be in fear when we hear that God keeps his promises on his terms. Here's some examples of unconditional promises. God told Noah that he would never again send a worldwide flood. 
And he sealed that promise with a rainbow. And that rainbow is still a symbol of God's promise. God promised Abraham a son, a nation from his descendants, and a land. David received assurance that his royal line would last forever. God repeatedly told Israel of his unfailing love for them and his ultimate plan to restore their nation. Jesus said he would return to earth and reward the righteous and punish the wicked. He promised that after he ascended to heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit. He said that Satan's forces would never overcome the church. Jesus promised to save, keep, and resurrect to eternal life all who trust in him. So God keeps his promises, but he keeps them on his terms. And his promises are kept to his intended audience. Has this ever happened to you? You pull an envelope out of the mailbox and it says, you are the winner of $10 million. And man, you don't know whether you ought to just uh, uh, call all your relatives or just jump up and down. But then when sanity returns, you decide to open the envelope first. And when you do, you notice how the sentence continues in smaller print, of course. If your numbers match those selected by the sweepstakes computer, the promise of $10 million applies only to the person who had the right numbers. Before we can claim one of God's promises, we need to know if he's talking to us or not. So, What has God promised to all people? The few promises that apply to all of the inhabitants of the earth. And they include salvation to those who believe and condemnation to those who reject Jesus Christ. The the assurance that the earth will never again be destroyed by a flood. A continuation of the cycles of nature as long as the earth exists. History that will culminate according to God's master plan, a day of judgment for believers and a day of judgment for unbelievers, a promise that God's character will not change, a promise of rewards to those who diligently seek him, and the certainty that everything he says is going to happen is going to happen. Now, there's some promises that aren't to everyone, but they are to all believers. God's divine power, this is one of the promises, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious, guess what, promises. One promise provision for our needs, another answer to prayer, another all we need to live for him, another reward for service, another promise help in our praying, another eternal life. The list goes on and on. A home in heaven, assurance of salvation, the Holy Spirit within, spiritual gifts, Forgiveness for daily sins, peace of mind, a way to defeat temptation, wisdom in times of testing, 
power for living, access to God through prayer, mercy and grace in times of need, illumination of the Holy Spirit, freedom from sin's grip, loving discipline, ability to make Satan flee, resurrection to glory, and strength to do God's will. He also, his promises are kept, as we said earlier, in his way, by his methods. This is something Abraham and Sarah really had a hard time with, didn't they? And that's why Ishmael came on the scene. They tried, do, they tried to help God along. And so many times, don't we find ourselves just like Sarah and Abraham, knowing that God wants us to have something a certain way, and then just trying to help him to bring it about? It's a, it's a common thing, but we need to understand it's going to happen his way, no matter how many suggestions we make as to what would be a good way. He already knows we ought to be praying, trying to understand his ways instead of trying to guide and direct him. Okay. While we sit and scratch our heads trying to figure out how God is going to answer a prayer or fulfill his promise or how he ought to do that and then griping at him because he didn't do it that way, he is calmly and peacefully and powerfully working out his plans, not yours, his, oftentimes behind the scenes of life and in ways and for reasons that we are never going to be able to comprehend. In Isaiah, uh, the 55th chapter, the Lord described our ability to understand, let's say our inability to understand his methods. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Although his reasons may elude us, and his methods may surprise us. God always fulfills his promises. As the apostle said, the apostle Paul said, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then lastly, in his time. Preschool children have a real hard time comprehending this. You can't tell a child, we're going to the zoo in two weeks and not, and not uh, expect him to ask you every day for two weeks if today is the day to go to the zoo. But let's face it, we also have trouble with time. We have difficulty understanding God's timing and how he fulfills his promises. Just like a little preschooler, we have a real hard time waiting and understanding why the answer isn't 
now. We expect results today or tomorrow, not years, weeks, or days from now. But all the promises of God are ours. And the thing is, one of those promises, the promise that he made to all believers, all the promises are ours. He has said that. They are ours. And we're going to be looking at some of those promises in the next few weeks. But in the meantime, just remember, I hope that this little ditty will just haunt you and cause you to go to God's word and look for the promise that he has for you in your situation. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line, all are blessings of his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.